I didn't realize we were bringing the cold. I thought that was already here. No, mashallah, this room is warm and everyone is welcoming. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and accept from you. Allahumma ameen. Would you love, if you could, to hear the recitation of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Wouldn't you want to hear his recitation, recitation of the Qur'an? That would be such a blessing. Imagine the reward of the people of Jannah as they're going about and meeting the people of paradise. Imagine being able to meet the Prophet every time you hear his name. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to an authentic hadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not listen to anything as he does to the beautiful voice of a prophet reciting the Quran pleasantly. According to this report, there's an understanding from some scholars about how pleasant of an act of worship it is when the Prophet is reciting. We know the very famous hadith when they asked Aisha radiallahu anha about the character of the Prophet We see that he exemplified the Quran. The Prophet he lived upon the legislation, the revelation, the laws, the prohibitions, the character, the morality. How do you deal with people who are hurting you, harming you, abusing you, insulting you, attacking you, your followers, your family? Spreading political propaganda about you, utilizing every measure possible, physical, intellectual, financial, emotional, to stop you. And the Prophet ﷺ, his character never stoops down to their level. His character is testified to by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ is teaching us what does it mean to live upon the final message from the creator to the creation. A timeless message. The final timeless mu'jiza, the miracle that's given to the Prophet ﷺ, that no one before him was given of the Prophets ﷺ. Recently, I was talking to a Ghazan brother. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring down his swift justice and his relief to our brothers and sisters in Gaza, to Palestine, in Sudan, in every land and every place. Allahumma ameen. He said when he was reciting... Do not assume those who were killed in the path of Allah as being dead. They are instead, they are not dead, they are alive, in fact, with their Lord, well provided for. What did he do? He said, I repeated it. I read it again and again and again. And I started to cry. He lost 41 family members over the course of two days in so-called safe zones. He said, as I was reading this ayah, and I felt like at that point, at that point I had not fully processed what happened to my family. I did not yet begin to think about the reality that they were killed. He said, when I repeated this ayah, I broke down in tears, but then I drew my strength from it. I found myself resilient. I found myself in a state of closure. Not closure for all of the people of Gaza and Palestine. Not closure because there's still an ongoing injustice that we must stop. But closure in the sense of where is my family? Closure in the sense of processing qadr, understanding. The little that you can understand and accept of the divine wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about in the Quran of why things happen. And how to see them from multiple perspectives. And of course, you take from this example your own story, your own journey. The things that you don't know about the future that you will have to process, that you will have to find a sense of closure with, 
that you will have to be resilient through. How does the Muslim find and tap into that perseverance, that resilience, that strength that has inspired millions around the world to look into Islam, that has inspired people in my community alone, just in Southeast Michigan. We've had maybe two dozen shahadas just in the first month, just in the first month from October 7 to November 7. And of course, this is a small example in just one area. Online as well, we've had many non-Muslims reach out learning about Islam from the resilience, the strength that they had seen in videos that you cannot deny from children as young as six and seven. Children whose parents just died in their homes, they survived and they're sitting there and saying, Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. Allah is sufficient for us and the best disposer of affairs. Does it mean it's easy? We have no emotions, we're robots? No. They're crying. The Prophet ﷺ cried. And that crying is a mercy from the heart. It's a compassion. It's normal when you lose a loved one, when Hamza was martyred. So that's a normal response, but you don't say anything that goes against the qadr that was given to you. You don't say anything that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's interesting about this example from the Ghazan brother in Michigan, what's interesting about this example is that every single one of us has that same potential to draw strength from the Quran, from revelation, as we learn from the Prophet ﷺ. But notice something. I told you in this example that this brother is reciting an ayah that hit home for him. It touched his heart in the moment. So he repeated it. He did the right thing. He repeated it again. He did the right thing. He repeated it again. And we learn this actually from the Prophet ﷺ. Abu Dhar reported the Prophet prayed at night. So one of the nights when he was praying, he prayed with a single ayah. And he would repeat it and recite it and repeat it and recite it until morning time. And he would do his ruku' and sujood with this ayah. And this ayah is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Into fa'innahum ibaduk wa in lahum fa'innaka anta al-azizul hakim. If you forgive, if you punish them, they are your servants. If you punish them, they are your servants. And if you decide to have mercy on them, if you decide to forgive, then you are Al-Aziz, Al-Hakim. Always pay attention when you do tadabbur of the Quran to the pairings of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his attributes. فَإِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ You are the one of authority. You are the Almighty. You have the power, the final say on whether or not to forgive or to punish. Al-Hakim is the all-wise. So not only do you have the power to decide who is forgiven and who is punished on the day of judgment, you are Al-Hakim, the one whose wisdom is complete and perfect and has no imperfections or flaws. Unlike us, we cannot possibly pass judgment and try to come up with equations and interpret the world in ways in which we actually are bringing forth some pride. One of the greatest atrocities within the literature on atheism is when people start to speak on behalf of God, when people start to try their best to come up, with, come up with or formulate an argument for evil, an argument about suffering. So they say, you know what? Based on probabilities, there's too much suffering. How can you speak on behalf of something in which you don't have access to even a fraction of it? You cannot come up with an equation, a formula, unless you have the elements of the formula. You are not Al-Alim and you are not Al-Hakim. The problem of evil collapses in the face of logic. It's an emotional argument, but it does bring forth to the surface some pride. May Allah protect us 
even an inkling, a seed, an ounce of pride is dangerous. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us humility. The Prophet sallallahu repeated this ayah. He prayed with it. What is this act of worship that he's doing, of repeating an ayah? And he's moved by it. What do we take from this? In fact, in one report, he was told, Ya Rasulullah, you continue to recite this ayah, to pray by it, and to prostrate and to bow down with this singular ayah. The Prophet explained. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I asked him for shafa'a, for the intercession of my nation. He gave it to me. It will be granted, inshallah, to the one who does not commit shirk. The Prophet is constantly worried about this ummah. Who's going to be punished on the day of judgment? Who will be forgiven? He's trying to reach the people who are abusing him as well. He's giving da'wah to the people who are spreading political propaganda about him. Tadabbur, to reflect on the Qur'an, to internalize it, is a transformative process if you give it its due right. We come across situations in everyday life, in situations where you have your daily routine or your wird, hopefully it's consistent, Especially before Ramadan, you're preparing. There's a consistency as you prepare. And this is an act of worship to prepare for something great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to make it to Ramadan. Allahumma ameen. Tadabbur is for your well-being. To repeat and reflect on an ayah is in fact something the Prophet ﷺ has taught us. So the next time you're listening to the Qur'an, the next time you are reciting yourself, and as you are reciting, you come across a verse. And in that moment, on that day, in that phase of your life, it touches you differently. Don't rush. Don't keep moving very quickly. If you have the capacity, the chance, as you're doing this act of worship, repeat the ayah. Think about it. Repeat it again and internalize it. What is this ayah doing for me? Why is it touching me differently today? Why is it affecting me this way? Even the sahaba were affected in that same context, that same manner. When the Prophet ﷺ died, what happened to the companions? What happened to Umar radiallahu an? And when Abu Bakr spoke and he reminded them and he recited the ayah from Surah Ali Imran, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ Umar radiallahu an had heard this verse and recited it perhaps dozens or hundreds of times, Allahu alam. And the Sahaba knew this ayah. But that day, that particular moment, the darkest day for the Ummah, for the Sahaba, it's as though they were hearing the ayah for the first time. And it's as though the people of Medina were all consoling each other. Reminding them this is what Allah said. So you're drawing strength from the Quran. You're finding happiness in the Quran. You're finding shifa in the Quran. Ibn al-Qayyim, one of the scholars, he says, if the people only realized what they would find if they recited the Quran with deep reflection, they would do nothing else. If they recited it while thinking about it, and they came across an ayah, a verse that they needed to heal their hearts, they would repeat it again and again, indeed a hundred times and indeed the entire night. Recite the Qur'an with the intention that, Ya Allah, my intention is to draw closer to you through this recitation. Oftentimes in many of our classes, whether it's a Miftah, Al-Maghrib, online, offline, in any institute, many students bring up very similar struggles. Amongst the struggles that is asked about, consistency in reciting the Qur'an. And people oftentimes when they're goal setting, what do they do? They're setting their goals and they're just thinking about the smart goals. They're quantifying. You know what? I'm going to read a juz every day, 10 pages, a hiz, whatever it may be. So they're thinking about numbers. They're thinking about sunan, the voluntary prayer. And what do they think? I want to pray 12 rak'ahs of sunnah, the rawatib every day. So now as they're doing their goal setting, they're checking off their tasks. They're thinking of it in a more robotic sense. 
So it's just about finishing this act of worship. It's about, I have to get my Quran done. I have to just finish five, ten pages. I just have to read a hundred ayat. It becomes more about the numbers. It becomes more about the to-do list. It becomes more about the goal setting, which is important. But it sometimes excludes the spiritual dimension that is crucial when it comes to all acts of worship. That, Ya Allah, my intention is not just to set smart goals so that I'm happy I finished a certain number of rak'at or a certain number of ayat in a month or a year. My intention is to, in the moment of that act of worship, draw closer to you. That I want to be amongst al-muhsineen. That I want to do so. I want to recite in the same manner that I would imagine I would recite if the Prophet ﷺ was next to me. Knowing with ihsan that Allah is always watching you. As you pray. As you talk about your to-do list. As you set goals before Ramadan and for the entire year. Make sure the spiritual dimension is always present. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us sincerity and consistency. Allahumma ameen. One time... The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as is authentically reported by Abdullah bin Mas'ud, one time he tells Abdullah radiallahu an to recite the Qur'an to him. So he tells him, iqra' alayhi, recite to me. He says, ya Rasulullah, should I recite to you when it was revealed to you? To paraphrase, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, yes. Naam. He said in one riwayah, I like to hear it from someone else. And then he starts to recite from the beginning of what surah, who can tell us? What surahs Abdullah begin to recite from? Say it out loud. Surah An-Nisa. He begins to recite from Surah An-Nisa from the beginning. He recites and recites and recites. He reaches a particular ayah, ayah 41. And the Prophet ﷺ tells him to stop and he looks at the Prophet and he sees that he's crying. Enough for now. He said, I turned to him. His eyes were swelling or welling with tears. As reported by Bukhari, what was he crying about? Which ayah? Or at what point was the crying noticed by Abdullah radiallahu an? It was the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who can tell us? What is the ayah? فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِن كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَاؤُلَاءِ شَهِيدًا Pay attention. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is moved, it's crying. You'll notice the ayah. What's the ayah? How will it be? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, how will it be when we bring for every ummah a witness? The Prophet will testify for and against his people. Some prophets had no followers. Some had just a few. Others had 60, 70, 80. And Prophet Musa salam had a great number. And Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa of course, the largest following. How will it be when we bring for every nation its witness and we will bring you Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we'll bring you, O Muhammad, as a witness over them. He's crying, why? What, what, what might we imagine he's, is he thinking about? With his compassion for all people to be guided. With his compassion for everyone to make it to paradise. And for no one in his ummah to be amongst those who are punished. He's thinking about the fact that he has to testify against some of the very people that are alive at that time and those who will follow until the end of times. And the Prophet ﷺ, you can imagine, perhaps this is coming from his mercy, even for those who were harsh, even for those who opposed Islam. And many of them later on embraced it. So long story short, you see from the Prophet ﷺ, drawing strength from the Qur'an, finding through the Qur'an inspiration for different situations, finding himself moved by what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. And this is something the companions took dearly from the Prophet ﷺ. You had an example of Aisha radiallahu anha. 
she's reciting and one time her nephew goes to say salam to her she's making dua and reciting he leaves he goes to the souq the marketplace he comes back he said she's still reciting the same ayah and making dua with it and she's moved emotionally with this verse it's a verse from surah at-tur and as she's reciting this ayah about the people of jannah as they're having conversations may allah make us amongst the people of jannah say ameen they are talking about a dunya this world and as they are talking they imagine this scenario this setting right here in new jersey they're talking about these scenarios, these times that they experience. They say, we were before this reward, before Jannah. We used to be in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the midst of our people. We used to be in awe. She would recite this and repeat it. Allah graced us and protected us from the punishment of the hellfire. We used to make dua. We used to call upon Allah alone in a dunya. We used to ask for protection from the hellfire. We used to make dua for Jannah. We used to call upon Him. He's the most kind, the most merciful. The Quran, if you give it, it's do right. It's not a small task, it's a way of life. Don't think of the Quran as a small habit you're adding to your life, it is a lifestyle and a worldview. It's the thing that shapes you. It's the thing that gives you resilience. It's a preventative measure and a healing as well. But if you abandon the Quran, you neglect the Quran, or you're not giving it its due right, like a person who's given a prescription, he barely applies the prescription. He says, it doesn't really work. Did you do this? X, Y, Z, one, two, six, one, two, ten. What did you do? I tried it once. It didn't work. I did it inconsistently. It didn't work. I was hasty. It didn't work. That's not how treatments work. That's not how a worldview works. It is an ongoing lifestyle. So if you want to take from the mu'jizah that Allah has given you, then give it its due right. It is a way of life. It is a full-time thing and beyond. It's embedded in the way you talk to your family with Muslims and non-Muslims. It's embedded in your psychology. You cannot have psychology without Islam, without Quran. You cannot have anything complete without the worldview that gives you the reality of this world and the reality of what's to come. And you see so many people affected by the Qur'an, they repent. They return to Allah. They change their entire lives. Sometimes because of a single ayah that they heard. There's a very famous singer from the Middle East. He used to, basically what I understood, he used to do a lot of music, music videos. And he's well known, I didn't know about him until this story, until this moment. And he repented. About a year and a half, maybe two years ago. He repented. Somebody left a comment on one of his videos. His music videos. He's Arab, so a lot of the comments are in Arabic. Somebody left a comment, what are you going to say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And he said, I saw this many times. I've heard many people criticize. His family's practicing, practicing Muslims, but he's in the music industry. And somebody asks him this question, and I think at one point they even included ayat in some of these comments. He said, that time it hit me differently. He left the entirety of the music industry. By the way, there's a lot of money attached to what he had. That's not an easy sacrifice, that's a test. How sincere are you? What are you willing to give up to leave the haram and go to the halal? What are you willing to race for? Yusuf salam, being seduced, what does he do? They both race to the door. The wife of Al-Aziz and Yusuf salam, they race to the door for very different reasons. One is racing and rushing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for safety. The other is racing for sin. This man repented, became a qara of the Quran, learned tajweed, memorized the Quran. And he started to record the recitations of the Quran to make up for a lifestyle of music. And this is an example. Utilize your time, your voice, your energy. 
to memorize, to internalize, to act upon the Qur'an, to teach it to others, even if you only know an ayah or two. Take it seriously. It's not a game. Take it seriously. It is life-changing. Take it seriously. It was given to you as a gift. It is a rope between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to an authentic hadith. And the Sahaba would start learning at a young age. Jundub radiallahu an. He says, we were youth with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, So we learned iman, faith beliefs before we learn the Quran then we learn the Quran it increased us in Iman if you feel like you ever struggle if you feel like you're fluctuating if you feel like you're not consistent if you feel like there's room for growth turn to the Quran give it its due right be consistent with it don't let a day go by in which you are not connected if we take the Quran to be the ultimate guidance the message from the creator to the creation, the source of light, so the one nur for the multiple dhulumat, the multiple darknesses and deviations in this world. It is the shifa, the cure for every illness. Then surely the one who learns it, the one who memorizes, the one who teaches it is spreading one of the greatest things they can possibly do with their limited time in this world. So I want you to imagine once again, what happens if you take the Quran as your companion and you die? As a habit, you're living upon it. You die in that lifestyle. Think about the last seven days of your life before this moment. How was your experience with the Qur'an? These are your last seven days. The day you leave this world, you think about your habits. If you're doing things now, it's similar to what you might be doing then. So if you don't like it now, then start changing the things you don't want to experience then. Because you might die before the next brother or sister in Gaza die. Just because they're being bombed and oppressed. Just because there's a genocide, an ethnic cleansing. In multiple places, in multiple situations, in different regions. Don't think you are guaranteed to live longer. If you don't like your habits now, how they are presented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then change these things today. For the people of the Qur'an are the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ahlullahi wa khassatuh. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took from the Qur'an, drew strength and inspiration. He was comforted by it. So if you find yourself struggling emotionally, turn to the Qur'an as well. The companions, they found uh, comfort in the Qur'an. They found tranquility and sakina. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds you, and this is my last point in the last 45 seconds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in every single passage of the Qur'an that mentions hardships. Remember this tafsir jam. Every single passage in the Qur'an mentioning hardships, musiba, calamity, there is something positive included for you to pay attention to. Such as the concept of Qadr, such as the reward of Jannah, such as the Shuhada, They are with their Lord, provided for. He takes care of them. So imagine your meeting with the Prophet ﷺ. You had all these years to connect to the Quran, to learn it, to memorize it, internalize it, understand its tafsir and act upon it. How would you feel knowing you acted upon the teachings that the Prophet conveyed sallallahu alayhi wasallam and sacrificed so much so that you could recite Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, so you could say La ilaha illallah. You had all these years. How would you feel meeting him sallallahu alayhi wasallam knowing that you took it seriously? You internalized it. It made you more optimistic, more resilient, stronger. It accompanied you in the Qur'an as a companion. It interceded for you on the day of judgment until you entered paradise. And then when you entered paradise, Allah told you, recite iqra, wartaqi, recite and ascend. For every ayah you memorized, you ascend to the ranks in which you can finally recite the last verse that you've memorized. And there's your final abode. The Qur'an is a source of blessings. Do not neglect it, respect it, study it, find comfort and strength in it and teach that strength and comfort and optimism to others. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
make us amongst those who are resilient and a source of resilience and people of the Quran throughout our lives until the last breath. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring down his swift justice and his mercy and his relief to our brothers and sisters in every land and place. Allahumma ameen. Wa salli lahum ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.